Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dr. Edmund Demirjian, Implant and Cosmetic Dental Care. Hello and welcome to the podcast. This is Dernarek, the pastor of St. Sarkis Church, along with our guest co-host, Mr. Michael Gostani. Michael, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dan Hyde. Glad to be here. Thank you very much for filling in for Beh, who is, I don't know where he is. I think he asked for a raise and we did not give him the raise, so he's not here with us. But thank you for coming. Why don't we start our show and our day with a prayer from the prayers of the Armenian Church. Tun vor polor mit keret gekenes, ku hagautunet dur mezi devapar gagachenk kezi. We beseech you, O Lord, who search all the minds, grant us your peace always. Amen. Somewhere in Europe is having fun, so we decided to have fun here. And thank you very much, Michael, for coming and helping me to do the podcast today. We have a lot to talk about. And one of the most important things that we need to talk about today is the Feast of St. Sarkis, our patron saint of this church, a feast that we celebrate every year. Unfortunately, last year we didn't celebrate because of the snow. But this year, we are going to celebrate on February 5th. Oshagan Serpas and our prelate will be here. He will celebrate the Divine Liturgy. We have ordinations taking place. We have some of our altar servers becoming acolytes. We have some of our acolytes becoming subdeacons. And following church services, we will have the banquet where, Michael, you are the MC of the day. So I've been told. <laughs> How do you feel about that? I am looking forward to it. <laughs> so uh, one of the people who are being ordained that day is your son, Vahan. That's right. Along is, with uh, my son, Hosep. Yes. They're becoming Tabirs. Well, um, I'm, I'm you... sure you folks are, are, are just as excited as we are about this. It's it's. Tell me, have you, have you spoken to Vahan about this? I have. I have spoken to Vahan. He was very excited about it. I had to kind of explain to him 
what it meant. And he, you know, for those who know my son, he's very, very laid back. And he looked and said, oh, okay, that, that sounds good. That sounds good. He probably after that asked if there's going to be a lunch after because that's that's usually really important question his next uh his next question with any topic that i that i bring up but he's looking forward to it we are looking forward to it as well okay so last week we had to take a picture that picture will be published and unfortunately he was not uh, because he got sick i think yes he's he's been a little a little under the weather it's uh going around my house today was his first day back at school and about 2 30 I got a call from Lena's school, my daughter's school, mm-hmm. saying that she is now sick Uh-oh. and had to go pick her up too. So it's it's been a busy, uh, yeah, hectic few days in the Gostan Inn house, but that's not a that's not holding us back. I know? think nowadays it's in every household. <laughs> Everyone, uh, you know, has some sort of flu or cold. It, it's the season. So um, the kids who are being ordained as acolytes, I'm going to uh, mention that their names are, as, as we said, Vahan, your son Vahan Gostanian. Hofsep Tertelian, my son, Gary Nersesian, Aram Nenejan, Levon Nenejan, and Alex Damirjan. So uh, most of them are here almost every Sunday. They are candle bearers, and it's exciting times for them to be taking the first step into becoming part of, you know, actively involved in the life of, of the rituals and the traditions of our church. It's, it's nice that they're doing it all it all together too, yeah. you know. But particularly the uh, Hofseb, Vahan, and Alex, who are in the same Armenian school class, so they you know they see each other at least once a week. They're yeah. friends, you know, as well as the others. You know, it's nice to to have this group that they're going through it, and hopefully, it's the the first step of many that of uh, that they're going to take together. Of course, and we will have um, five acolytes becoming subdeacons, and uh, they are. Razmik Nenejan, Rafi Nenejan, Haik Badasarian, Arek Bogosian, and Shant Voskerichan. So, Michael, you've been a deacon how long in, uh, in the Armenian Church? Um, probably a little, a little over twenty years. When were you ordained? I when was I ordained? Yeah. Um, I was I was about eight, maybe eighteen, twenty years old. Okay. Uh, so what what is that? Uh, what does that uh, put us there? Mid nineties, somewhere around there. Uh, I was ordained by uh, Archbishop Mesropashian of blessed Plus memory, memory. Uh, and it was uh, it it was something I I always look back fondly on, uh, and you know I, I actually I never actually went through the the tibir mm-hmm. ordination or ordination. So I've I've been serving. Probably since I was around Bahan's age, and it, you know, I I just don't remember us doing a lot of those kinds of things then. Part of it maybe because there was a lot happening here at that time. The, the the old Saint Sarkis had burned down, and you know we were I'm going to call it homeless uh, for a while as far as having our own sanctuary. So it was a it was it was a difficult time. Uh, But when I did go through the ordination, it was actually we combined a little bit. Sure, we went through the. The subdeacon, the Uraragir, and, then... and the Sargavak ordination, uh, all just one right after another in the mm-hmm. same uh, at the same time. Sure. Uh, but as I said, I, I look back on it very fondly, you know, particularly as uh, it was Mesrop Sirpazan. Of course. Of course. It's a great thing, you know. Um, I, I also remember the day that I was ordained a deacon, and... Uh, um, Unlike you, I was ordained a subdeacon first. I served as a subdeacon for a year, and then I was ordained a deacon. And 
when they the the ordaining bishop gives you the urar the stole on on your shoulder it's such a great honor because that symbolizes you are receiving the sweet yoke of jesus so it's a burden but it's a sweet burden that is put at the same time yeah that you know you you are called to serve the church and i wish that in our church um you know the role of deacons would be a little more um stronger than what it is today because most of the time the deacons come and they are serving only on the altar there's got to be something more and uh i don't know uh, what exactly but you guys have such an important role that you can play in, in in the life of the armenian church and i hope that in the near future something will change and you know you will be encouraged to be more active in the also in the pastoral aspect uh, of the armenian church yeah, a lot of people don't realize if I if I remember right, there are a lot of activities that, in the absence of a dead height or sure. clergy, that the that the deacon can perform. You know, here in America, it's not really something that we're we're faced with as much because, thankfully, we have uh, you know we have our our clergy uh, right. to lead us and guide us. But in some parts of the world, uh, rural, more remote parts, you know, maybe there is an active clergy there all the time, and the the deacons fill some of that role to the to the sure. best of their ability and to the degree they're allowed. Mm-hmm. Sure. And in our prelacy, um, deacons are allowed to deliver the Holy Communion uh, in case the pastor or a priest is not there, but uh, the prelate has to give that special uh, privilege. Special permission. Yeah, to, to, to the deacon to deliver for that one specific time. So it's a very important role, and uh, my hope is that for all those who have received or will be receiving that ordination to look very seriously on you know the privilege that they are gaining and to be part of uh, to be in that part of of our church so one of the other one one of the many highlights of the afternoon on St. Sarkis Day will be that uh Oshagan Serpazan as you mentioned tonight will be here and he will be recognizing deacon Fran Kaparajan uh, for 50 years of service to the Armenian Church as a deacon, and so that for me that that's also something very special uh, for me as uh, uh, he was one of a few people that when I was a when I was a child first serving on the altar that I really learned a lot from. One of the he was one of the Sargavaks serving on the altar back in the old Saint Sarkis, and was someone that really taught me a lot. Uh, before I started more of a formal mm-hmm. uh, training, I'll call it, uh, you know, as being a Sagavak. So that's also going to be something. Uh... That's great, because uh, that day we will be remembering and honoring um, the past and also embracing the future. So it's a great exactly. celebration. And I would like to invite all of our listeners to make your reservations and try to be here. Let us celebrate the feast of the patron saint of our church on February 5th.
speaking about the future of the church, Michael, uh, I'm sure you're aware about the Sunday school, which we just started in mid-January. Who starts the Sunday school in mid-January? You start it whenever you have the opportunity to. <laughs> That's what we did. <laughs> That's what we did. So there was a demand. You know, certain parents were asking us, why don't we have a Sunday school? And we just decided... Let's do this. And, and it's something we've had on and off we over, did, over yeah. the course of the years. Yes. It's been a while that you know we didn't have a Sunday school, and we decided to reopen our Sunday school. And I was saying, I was hoping maybe we can have 10, 15 students, but we ended up having 50. That's a great number. It is, it is booming. It is booming. So um, we have classes. We have um, teachers who are coming and teaching, and the curriculum of the prelacy we are following Sunday school is doing great, and I'm so happy that we have Sunday school. So Saturday school and Sunday school, um, where we teach religion, Armenian culture, Armenian language, it's a great place for our kids to be part of. It's it's amazing that you know when I first heard, I think we we discussed it at a board meeting, and there was maybe thirty kids enrolled at the time, and then the week before it, it was up to forty, and now it's uh, fifty, a little over fifty, whatever you know, around that mark. It, unbelievable it, between the two schools that it's it's fantastic that there is so much interest to. We have over a hundred kids in our Saturday school, fifty kids in the Sunday school. You know, it's it's a good testament to the parents and the families. I think that. Uh, you know, let, let's be honest, at this age, the kids are not the ones who are, you know, calling their parents and saying, please, please take me, for the most part, maybe some are, but the parents feel and recognize the importance of sure. both those institutions and will take the time to bring their kids. Absolutely. And you know what? This past Sunday, when uh, the Sunday school started, um, most of the parents were on the pews, attending Badarak, listening to the sermon. And that made me feel very happy. And that's an added bonus. A few more people in on Sundays as well. Of course, because, you know, it's a joint effort. Uh, It should be a joint effort between the parents and the teachers. The teachers alone will not be able to do anything if it's not coming from the parents. So I hope this spirit will continue, and I hope more parents will join us um, both at Sunday schools with with their children and on the pews to worship together. This past Sunday, we the church hosted our Ways to Wellness seminar. Uh, I unfortunately was not able to make it, but I heard a lot of good things. I heard there was a lot of interest, uh, very successful, well attended, and you know I have to say I was a little 
concerned, like, boy, I hope, I know this is important, I hope people are going to come and listen to what has to be said, but there's a there's a bit of a stigma behind uh, mental health you know particularly i'll say in the you know in the in the middle eastern world and in, in our in community, community in particular you know you start talking about things like that the first thing you get is uh, and people don't are not as serious enough they don't realize that mental health is just as important as physical health and it's nice to hear that at least a number of people were able to get over that stigma and come in as there was some great information presented. I'm not sure if they were able to get over the stigma because as we were getting started, somebody comes to me and goes like, do you think we are all crazy? You've brought three people to speak about mental health. I said, absolutely, we are all crazy. We all are we in all our own are. little absolutely. way, but that's what makes us who we are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, but... Uh, it was, as you said, Michael, it was a very good uh, panel discussion. And um, Anait, this was Anait's idea, Anait Ugurlayan. She was the one who was like, let's do this something. And we just initially, the idea was to have a lecture, but then we said, let's do a panel. And I'm so happy that um, Dr. Hagop Gorgisian, Dr. Yeraz Meshchan, and Dr. Carlo Bayraktarian participated. And the flow was very nice. Dr. Gorgisian presented about the stigma. And, you know, the myths about um, mental health and what is the reality. And after that, um, Dr. Yeras spoke about um, common cases of when or why people might need psychotherapy. And she gave us uh, a, good, a good idea about what happens when somebody goes to psychotherapy. And then Dr. Carlo Bayraktarian spoke about dementia and Alzheimer's, and something that we all are con- concerned about. So um, the presentations were very nice. And after that, um, there was time for questions and answers. And we thought that not everyone will be comfortable getting up and asking questions. And for that reason, we gave um, the participants index cards. And, and that, that was a great idea. That That's, worked very well. That was a great idea. Ver- worked very well. They asked their questions, and you know, that was about an hour, you know, and uh, all presenters gave um, their answers, and that was very enriching. And at the conclusion, guess what we heard? We need to do more of this. People were very encouraged, you know, and uh, and that's that's a great thing. So that's that's great. And you you had a wide range on the panel as well from general psychiatry to geriatric psychiatry to clinical psychology so i think between all of us we could fit in one of those three uh, categories there oh yeah uh you know every as i believe it was said you know everybody sometimes just needs someone to talk to Mm -hmm. it worked very well and i'm hoping that if we can do this once or twice a year it will be helpful and they're not so this uh in a way ties into uh you know your experience professionally as a as a counselor and uh, the program that you have started here at Subsarkis, uh last year and that is the bereavement uh, counseling that we've the had support here group, uh, yeah. support group sure I mean it was a it was it, it was a it was a rough year for a lot of our parishioners here and there was a, a, a need and you know this these program this program that you have started I think is is there to help a lot of people. I think so, Michael. Um, last year we did um, the first season of When Tears Are Not Enough, and I wasn't sure about to do to do it again this year or not. 
And then I got an email from one of our parishioners asking us, when are you starting this again? So I sensed that there was a need, and then we prepared the flyer and sent the information out. And I'm so happy to report that we have 15 participants. Um, last Tuesday, we had our second session, and it's going very well. Um, it's, it's a nice group working together very well. Um, we're providing the material for them. It's a safe environment for people to come and share their feelings. So I want to share one thing about uh, the dynamics of, of our group, Michael, and this is very interesting because um, when I was preparing for the group, I had to go back to my textbooks and kind of uh, revisit uh, what I've learned. Um, and one of the very interesting things uh, that I read there, the red flags, you know, uh, was that in groups like this, people will um, generally try to compare their pain and, you know, come with um, ideas that my pain is greater than yours. No, that that's nothing. You don't know what I've been through. Exactly. Consciously you know? or subconsciously. Right. <laughs> so um, that was something for us to be aware of. So we come here in our group in our, with our parishioners. And this past Tuesday, we experienced a total opposite. When people are hearing about the pain of other people, they go like, my pain is nothing compared to yours. So the, it is such a caring environment that I'm so happy that we have it here at St. Sarkis Church. No, that's, that's wonderful. I mean, you know, a lot of that may be related to the fact that this is not a, a, a public seminar where people are coming from all over. This is, right. I'm guessing, for the most part, uh, if not all, our parishioners who know each other and are a family. Exactly. And, it's, it's a, uh, you know, they're there to support, as much as they're there to get support, I think they are there to support each other. And in a way, you know, maybe that helps them as well. Sure. So we just concluded our second session this past Tuesday. We have eight more sessions to go. And I hope that by the end of the 10 sessions, our participants will find ways to start healing. Our guest today is Dr. Michael Abrankian. I guess today I'm blessed with the angels, the Archangel Michael. Dr. Abrankian from Sunnyside Spine, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Ryan. How are you? Thank you, doing well. So why don't you tell us about your practice? Sure. Um, we started our practice in uh, 1995. Yeah, I was raised in Sunnyside, so after completing chiropractic school, wanted to come back and open up uh, an office in the area. and. Uh, We've been very blessed ever since, uh, okay. celebrating 22 years of 22 practice years. this year. Yeah. God bless you. Thank you. So for someone who has not had a chiropractic um, evaluation, what does a doctor of chiropractic do? Well, first of all, we uh, evaluate and determine for any spinal abnormalities. Um, that's uh, either done by hand or by instrument. But more, more importantly, we evaluate for a term that a lot of people don't relate to, which is called subluxations. What is that? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and some, some people say the word submarine, and it's really subluxation. So subluxation is basically a misalignment that occurs in the spine. Okay. And there's many reasons behind the subluxation. Um, uh, probably the most common reason is postural faults, which I think we all suffer from one way or another. And then there's, of course, repetitive type of trauma, and then acute trauma, such as car accidents and work-related accidents and what have you. So when you came uh, this evening um, 
to record a podcast. You said that it's, it's been a long day. Right. So why people need career practitioners? Yeah. Why you are you busy? Yeah. I, I think more and more um, over the years, especially definitely within the last 10 years, we're seeing a tremendous amount of patients um, looking to chiropractic care and looking to other alternative type uh, care and not necessarily moving away from traditional medical care, but I think uh, all of us, including medical physicians, are realizing that it's better to try more conservative approach to musculoskeletal issues rather than uh, approaching it with drug therapy or injection, of course, surgical intervention, where, of course, there's a place for everything. But uh, chiropractic has always been used and referenced as an alternative care. Um, I like to actually reference chiropractic as should be a primary care uh, for musculoskeletal issues. And then um, alternative should be the drug therapy and the injection. So you're saying that um, your treatment is not painful? Compared to surgery, is that well, what I'm hearing? Well, we're, we're, we're not comparing surgery and chiropractic. We're, we're comparing um, what's more invasive, what's more um, risky, mm-hmm. I think. That's the word we're looking for. Yeah, And um, I think uh, we like to make ourselves available to uh, spinal um, issues, such as um, neck issues and lower back issues, sciatica, disc herniations where they respond extremely well to conservative care, uh, which includes chiropractic care and physiotherapy and spinal rehabilitation, which we do. For somebody who has not come in for an evaluation ever before, uh, how, long, how long does the evaluation and the treatment usually take? Well, you know, our, our initial evaluation could take up to 45 minutes. Um, we, uh, we start by taking a very thorough history uh, of the patient, um, understanding not only what what pains them, but what is leading to their pain, uh, what is aggravating their pain. Um, there may be some relieving factors, and then based on that, uh, the patient may require some diagnostic testing. Uh, in, in our office, uh, we use digital spinal x-rays. Uh, we also do what's known as a surface EMG, which is a nerve test of the spine. Uh, and of course, in certain instances where patients have neurological symptoms, we also obtain MRIs. So before starting any treatment plan, we come up with a, a fairly good working diagnosis or a final diagnosis. Um, and then uh, when it comes to treatments, treatments take anywhere between half hour to 45 minutes again, depending on what has to be done, physiotherapy, spinal manipulation, spinal rehabilitation. So um, it, it's definitely not a, a one-two treatment. It does uh, take some time, take some dedication both for the patient and the providers. So um visits themselves um, have to be repetitive in order for them to be successful. I sometimes compare chiropractic care to um, working out uh, where a person may go and and see great results within four weeks but if they stop or slow down that workout they regress and it's no different than with our care where patients are given um, a home spinal exercise program that we expect them to follow. We, we use the three pillars uh, in our office. Um, the first pillar, which is I think the most important, is when they start treatment following a specific rhythm of their care. And um, is their um, improving, uh, trying to have them continue their home spinal exercises. And the most important part is eliminating, uh, trying to eliminate uh, destructive behaviors that uh, unfortunately we all do 
sometimes sitting in front of a computer for long periods of time, right? <laughs> uh, with the age of cell phones, you can see everybody's on their phone, either checking their Facebook or listen to to various types of programs, maybe such as this, but at least looking at a video, right? So that puts everybody at jeopardy of having poor posture, which leads to our word, subluxation, which is the misalignment of the spine. A lot of the public doesn't realize that uh, chiropractic care is um, covered by major health insurance, uh, including Medicare. Um, it covers by uh, New York State um, workers' compensation funds. So if somebody has an accident at work, um, they're fully covered in the chiropractic care, and uh, my office is uh, certified with that. And, and of course, uh, car accidents, where uh, unfortunately people suffer car accidents and uh, are not checked for spinal misalignments. And further down the road, um, they reap uh, the percussions of having these subluxation complexes develop into other problems. So definitely recommend patients who have these accidents to be checked uh, for these misalignments. And for those who have insurance, uh, there's a very good chance that you're you're covered. So chiropractic care, like any other kind of care, it's not a one shot, come in, you'll fix me and I'm done. It's a long-term process that involves changing behaviors, doing the right thing and taking care of yourself. Like you said, just like going to the gym and working out. You don't go just one day and suddenly you're slim and trim and you, know, you don't have to worry about it anymore. You, you also talked a lot about uh, coming in for to diagnose a problem before you mentioned uh, you know different types of injuries that people seek chiropractic care for what about uh, proactive care what can what can we do and how does your practice help people avoid getting into those situations where they're forced to come because they're in pain and whatnot right I mean that that's that's actually a great question and I think that's one of the the one thing that we're, we're really focusing on in the practice where we, we, we're we dealing, of course, primarily with patients with one reason, and they come in with pain, right? And <clears throat> being now in practice for, obviously, uh, over 22 years, we're seeing repeat clientele. Right? And, of course, um, as one patient says, doctor, why are you teaching me to prevent me from getting an injury? It's good for business. It really isn't because <clears throat> there's so many times that you can actually help somebody conservatively before they have to um, then go back and um, have more aggressive type approaches and of course injections or surgical intervention and what have you. So when you're dealing with a specific somebody who has a, a disc condition, so for those of you who may know what a disc is, it's uh, the little jelly that's in between the vertebras, um, those disc injuries um, heal and they heal well, but unfortunately there's always a susceptibility for the person to have a re-injury. So having them be educated on um, proper lifting, uh, proper bending, proper postural mechanics, and of course periodic adjustments because we all go out of alignment. Just like you know, we talked earlier about dentistry, um, I think dentistry probably has done the best job out of all the healing arts to, to work on dental hygiene. And I think our approach is spinal hygiene where we shouldn't wait for pain to arise to start doing various spinal exercises. They should be done on a daily basis. Um, and of course, um, the spine should be checked for misalignments periodically. Um, Frequency-wise, we, we recommend periodic spinal evaluations uh, for patients. But patients who want to maintain a wellness being, um, you know, adjustments uh, once or twice a month have, have been very valuable for, for patients. Oh, wow, that, I hadn't realized that often. I, and I say that from personal experience as somebody whose back probably goes out about once a year to the point where I, I can't even walk. <laughs> right. 
right, right. So, you know, in, in those situations where we become totally immobile, um, as you probably know, you probably suffer a lot of muscle spasms at that time. And then uh, usually within a few days or weeks, depending what type of care you choose, most patients get better. But the dysfunction of the spine still remains, um, mm -hmm. even though the symptoms are gone. So can you tell us um, what conditions may benefit from a chiropractic evaluation? Well, um, we primarily treat, and of course, we focus on all spinal-related symptoms. Um, um, symptoms, uh, or at least misalignments that occur um, in the cervical spine, which is the neck, uh, lead to, to headaches. I mean, that's, that's a very common symptom, and neck pain, neck stiffness. Uh, probably the, the primary uh, symptom that we see in the office is the word stiffness, morning stiffness, right? which, which are signs of degeneration, degeneration of the spine. Um, uh, and of course, uh, we, we do treat disc conditions. Um, now, not all discs are the same. Uh, certain patients have fragmentations of the disc, which unfortunately do not respond at all to conservative care, and those are surgical. Uh, but things like disc bulges and, and disc herniations, which we commonly see and treat very successfully, including sciatica. Um, and one of the things that <clears throat> we, we do in the office, and we're talking about wellness and more importantly being proactive, is really checking children. And, and we, we check children in our office uh, starting the age of 12. And we're predominantly looking for scoliosis, the curvature of the spine where traditionally if scoliosis is um, under um, 20 degrees, it's usually just fairly monitored and monitored on a yearly basis. But taking a proactive approach with scoliosis, we start children on uh, corrective spinal adjustments and, of course, uh, spinal exercises. And, of course, going back to postural training. I'm sure we all know children nowadays um, are given iPads and iPhones from a very early age. Uh, they're being utilized as um, babysitters. And unfortunately, this is creating an abnormal posture in a very young child. So I think now more than ever, uh, children should be checked periodically um, and posture should be addressed. Are there any um, new technologies that you are using in your office? Yeah, as I was saying a little bit earlier, uh, we incorporated um, spinal x-rays, but we take it to the point where we're using digital spinal x-rays, which just like um, our new digital cameras, where you can zoom in and not lose resolution, and that's what we're doing. Uh, it reduces the radiation on the patients. Uh, we almost are almost at 100% no retakes, which that means you get one shot quickly, and uh, we get to see the pictures immediately. Um, all of our x-rays in our, um, our office, which is... Um, uh, not uh, only looking at, of course, um, the bone and disc spaces and what have you, but we do what's known as weight-bearing x-rays. So all of our x-rays are done uh, standing. Uh, so this way we see how gravity is affecting the spine. Uh, more importantly, we see alignment and posture. Um, we use a technology um, which, in which we evaluate posture by um, using a, a software called Posture Pro, which... Uh, actually digitizes uh, plain pictures to see abnormalities in postures and angulations and postures. And I think that's one of the nicest uh, parts that we started using where we can actually measure degrees of posture and then come back three months later and take another picture again, and not an x-ray, just a regular picture, and see if the person has a correction. And, um, and uh, that's, that's our other exciting area in the office. And um, the last one is... Um, 
the surface EMG, which actually um, uh, checks the uh, neuromuscular junction and checks in how there may be or um, an imbalance of the muscles um, via surface test, so we don't introduce any needles in the patient, which is a fantastic screening tool for somebody who doesn't have pain but wants to know how they're doing. Yeah. Excellent. A few years ago, um, I had a very bad injury. I fell on the black ice, and next thing I know, I was at your office. And you took very good care of me. So um, I know the effects of your practice and how good uh, it is that, you know, I was able to walk again. And uh, I want to thank you very much for that. And uh, I would like to encourage all my listeners who have any problems to reach out to you and... Um, if they have questions, is that okay to reach out sure, and ask questions? Of course, of Tell course. us more about how can, can they reach you, doctor. Yeah, so our, our practice is in Sunnyside, Queens, and I'm sure for all of us who are listening, we all know where Sunnyside is, which is the grassroots of a lot of uh, people who have immigrated <laughs> to the States, right? Um, and uh, we're on 48th Street, right on the corner of 48th and Queens Boulevard. Um, we also have a great website. I think it's very interactive. It's sunnysidespine.com. Um, I uh, pride myself with the website because we put a lot of educational material on there and actually the website's going to actually expand to include self-help exercises and various types of lectures that we, um, we do in the office. We can actually put it up on our website, which, um, which I think is interesting. We have a Facebook page, which is, which is, uh, something new for us, which I think is exciting and, uh, and a YouTube channel coming up too, so. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much for stopping by and wish you all the success in your practice and in your life. May God bless you and your beautiful family. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you. It is scripture time here on the podcast. And today's reading is from the second epistle of St. Paul to Timothy, chapter 2, verses 3 through 7. Share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. It is the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. The word of God. I love this reading. Paul is encouraging his follower, his helper, Timothy, and is is showing him some tough love. Can we say that? Basically, he's saying that, you know, be ready for suffering. Do not rule out suffering in your life as a Christian, because if our Lord Jesus Christ suffered, you know, then suffering should be part of our lives. We should not seek a life where, you know, there's no suffering and everything should be easygoing for us. We should embrace suffering and dedicated to the Lord but the what comes after that in verses 4 and 5 is very very interesting Michael no one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs as if Paul is saying to us that you are here for a specific purpose and don't let the other things distract you absolutely because in life there are so many distractions and we need to focus on what are we doing here What are we doing here is trying to please God, who is our commander. You know, he continues and he says, the soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. You know, we try to please so many other people around us, but sometimes we don't ask this very important question to ourselves. Am I pleasing God 
with my choices, with my words, and with the things that I do. And then he encourages us to play by the rules. You know, I think Paul was an athlete, or he wanted to become an athlete. So in his letters, we have so many times, you know, we see him giving analogies from that world. And here we read, in the case of the athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. Play by the rules. Yeah, you know, we shouldn't expect to be rewarded for something that we haven't done. You know, um, so many uh, people that I know, they think that faith is all about the feelings that we have. It's all about the convictions that we have. And, you know, they kind they don't focus on the actions, but it's very clear in Paul's theology that our actions and uh, the things that we do are very important to manifest uh, our faith. And once we do that, there's a promise. We'll have the first share of the crops, you know, and I believe that you know, that is the reward of God for, for doing the right thing and following him. In particular, it talks about the, the farmer who does the work is the one that should have the first share. So I'm sure we've all been in situations where be it at the office or wherever you may be, where we all know some people work harder than the others. Uh, some people are working really hard while others are sitting there just waiting to reap the rewards mm -hmm. uh, off of someone else's back. And in this case, uh, be it literally or metaphorically, he's telling you that the person who does the work will have the first share of the crops, the best of the crops. Sure. It's very interesting, uh, the example that you're giving, because in this case, uh, the work of people around me will not help me. <laughs> you know, if, if my spouse or my father or my child is a good believer and I'm not, you know, their, their faith will not help me because it's, it's my faith and my work that will come to eventually help me well on, on the flip side it's it's your faith and your work i think helps us that i oh thank you <laughs> i take that as a compliment but what i'm trying to say is you know if, if if you live with saints and you're not doing your share that probably will not help you they they, they might influence you but not totally help you. That's that's what it is. I was yeah. that's what I was referencing the the influence. the influence. Not that we go to take the work off uh, the benefits off of your sure. work, but that your uh, your influence and example helps sure. the rest of us. And the, in the conclusion, he says, "Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things." So it's important for us to have that open mind to receive um, guidance from above to be able to continue our lives as as Christians. So I like what Paul says, I like his encouragement and you know the fact that we always need to learn, we always need to keep an open heart and an open mind when it comes to our faith and I think that's very important because unfortunately I have come across to so many people who when when we speak to them about faith, they, they have this notion that oh I've learned all of these things when, when I used to go to Sunday school. I'm good now. No, it's something that we need to remind ourselves. Today's hymn is called Aminagal Kabyaz Meros Hymn. This is performed by Anna Mayelian. I hope you will enjoy listening to this hymn. We will be back hopefully in two weeks. And today I would like to thank our deacon, Michael Gostanian, for helping me do the podcast this evening. I would like to thank Greg, although he's going through difficult times, he lost his grandma, he's here with us doing the podcast. I would like to thank our sponsor and all of our listeners for being faithful listeners to the podcast. 
I pray that the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be always in your hearts.
Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dr. Edmund Demirjian, Implant and Cosmetic Dental Care. If you would like to sponsor a future episode of the podcast, please call the church office at 718-224-2275.